You are listening to A Taste of Romumu, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Romumu, please visit romumu.org. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. So every year when Parshat Truma arrives, a sense of dread and anxiety wells up within me. But the Parsha begins quite auspiciously and poetically with God says, bring me gifts from each and every person whose heart so moves her. A few weeks ago, we received so much, almost too much at Sinai. And now we get to give. God asks us to bring Raw materials, precious metals, multicolored stones, fabrics for weaving. And God declares the words that we just sang. Make me a sanctuary. And I'm going to live with you. I'm going to live inside of you. God speaks to us here in the language of love and intimacy. And then, just like that, the mood is broken. Before we can dwell on bringing presence to the presence, or dream of how we might want to build this this home for the holy presence, God throws us into architectural boot camp and spends the next six chapters dictating the blueprint for the Mishkan in impeccably precise details. We are to fulfill the exact measurements and instructions without deviation. I just want to give a little taste in the English. Chapter 26, verse 26. Okay. You shall make bars of acacia wood, five for the planks of the one side wall of the tabernacle, five bars for the planks of the other side wall of the tabernacle, and five for the planks of the wall of the tabernacle at the rear to the west. The center bar halfway up the planks shall run from end to end. So you get the picture. For those of us who are spatially challenged, <laughs> Truma, Truma and its excruciatingly exact measurements are paralyzing. I can't picture it. And I feel kicked out of my story. How can one hope for intimacy if the only way to get there is through straight lines and precise edges? This always reminds me of a story from my childhood. My mother is an extremely talented fiber artist. We grew up with a massive loom in our kitchen and colorful geometrical quilts adorning the walls and the beds of our home. It was really beautiful. When I was around 12 years old, my mother started a mission with a few of her colleagues. They were making quilts for a homeless shelter. Each person who came to the shelter received her own handmade quilt, and it was hers to take with her when she left the shelter and went on her travels. My mom called this project Comfort. And she asked me one day if I would like to make a quilt for a homeless child as part of the project. I think this was probably the first time that it hit me that children actually could be homeless. I was horrified, and I knew I had to make this quilt. I spent hours trying to cut a straight line. 
to sew along the margins, to thread needles and bobbins and tie aesthetically pleasing knots. And I had absolutely no success. The quilt emerged so lopsided and famished <laughs> that nobody could possibly want to cover themselves with it. I cried over what was supposed to be a beautiful present, a symbol of home for a child without one. My mother, with great patience and love, declared, it's okay, the quilt is beautiful. It's not an exact science. In Parshat Truma, the home that we make for God is an exact science. There's no escaping it. As Everett Fox writes in his commentary, the layout of the dwelling expresses aesthetic ideas of perfection through various symmetrical proportions. The closer one gets to God, the more precious the metal in order to reflect divine perfection and order in the sacred structure. With such grandiose visions for perfection, besides the architects in this community, what are we supposed to contribute to this project? Well, finally this year, I found an opening in Truma. When God begins the six-chapter blueprint of the Mishkan, God does not begin with a stunning, perfect outside structure that contains the whole project. God begins small. God begins by tracing the inner sanctum the Kodesh HaKodeshim, the holiest of the holies. God is asking us to start small and to start in the center, to build from the inside out. Okay, what does this holy of holies contain? We begin with the Aaron, the Ark. The Ark holds within it our laws, our history, our stories, our myths, all inscribed on two tablets. This ark holds and protects our evolving collective identity. Now upon the ark, we make a kaporet, a cover. And kaporet isn't, I mean, we would say michse if it was just your average cover that just sat on top of something, but this is a kaporet, which comes from the same word as kippur. And this kaporet is no ordinary cover. We must make it out of pure gold, one piece. And we must sweep out of both sides of it these two kruvim, often translated as cherubim. But I don't like to think about sweet, chubby cherubs or elegant, angelic figures. I like to think about fierce, sphinx-like creatures with sweeping spread wings that are guarding our most precious cargo, our luchot habrit. And it is here, between the wingtips and between the eyes of these fierce protective kruvim, that God speaks to us. There's a direct transmission. This is the epicenter, the epicenter of connection and divine communication. So we have a holy of holies that contains identity and it contains the root of divine communication. And neither identity nor communication is characterized by straight lines, symmetry, or perfection. Neither one of these is an exact science. In fact, 
We don't just hold the tablets of the enduring covenant in the Aron HaKodesh. We carry the broken tablets from the golden calf, the symbol of our worst human weakness. We carry all, all the parts of our identity, the aspirational and the disgraceful, and we contain it in the center in our holy of holies. And then communication, also messy at the center. Holy, powerful, and messy. And we need it right at the center if we're going to build anything. How can we place communication in our holy of holies on a day-to-day basis? When we engage with our partner, our parents, our children, colleagues, enemies, how do we make our communication holy? When we build projects, companies, when we build a community, can we make enough space at the center for divinely infused communication? Since joining Romamu, I think I've been thinking a lot about the components of community and about the uniqueness of this special community into which I've been welcomed. Romamu didn't even have the option of starting from the outside, since we didn't start with a building. And I wonder if that allowed this community to build instinctively from the inside out. To start with the Holy of Holies, a foundation of communication, of engagement with Torah and identity. And I wonder beyond that, what else lives in Romamu's Holy of Holies? What is at the vibrant core of this community? And how do we make it even stronger? I want to finish with a midrash that Rabbi Jill Hammer pointed to me, pointed me to this week. Uh, it's in Midrash Tanhuma, and it's about the construction of, of the Mishkan. And it particularly this particular midrash focuses on the menorah, the on the lamp, <laughs> on the holy lamp, this vessel which is in the the Mishkan, and which is. Design, the design is based very strictly, actually, on an almond tree and almond blossoms. So the Midrash starts with God ascending the mountain, with Moshe ascending the mountain to meet with God. And God lays it all out. God lays out the blueprint and articulates in this minute, minute detail exactly how this is going to look. And Moshe says, I don't get it. I don't get what you want me to do. So God steps back, brings some white fire, some black fire, some green fire, and red fire, and then casts this, this menorah, giant menorah, in the sky and says, this, 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 this is exactly what I want you to do. Hmm? <laughs> and Moshe says, no, I, I actually, I still don't get it. And God tries a different tactic And God takes Moshe's hand in the divine hand and traces the lines of the menorah into Moshe's hands. It says, this, this is what I want you to do. And Moshe says, I'm sorry, I still don't get it. God says, okay, well, if you throw the gold into the fire, the menorah will emerge (laughs) on its own as a menorah. And that's the end of the Midrash. Two things grabbed me here. 
first, the messiness and beauty of the communication between God and Moshe. I always think of this communication between the two of them as perfect, as so aligned, and here there's clearly not, it's not flowing. Secondly, it turns out that the six chapters of minute architectural detail were not an exact science. They were beyond reach. Moshe couldn't touch them. And beyond that, there was something so beautiful in that each time Moshe can't grasp the meaning of the instructions, God takes the opportunity to communicate ever more creatively and eventually more intimately with Moshe. In the end, as Rabbi Jill Hammer said to me, if we build it, God will come. <laughs> the menorah, the gold that we throw into the fire, even if we cannot perfect it to the last detail, that piece of gold, if we try our dindest, might just emerge as a menorah that looks like an almond tree. We might not reach the height of the blueprints, particularly if Moshe can't reach the height of the blueprints. But if we start at the center and we build with divinely driven communication and our luchot habrit, as this Fatimet says, that we carry these words of the luchot that we carry inside our hearts, that every year we need to keep scrubbing because plaque develops on them. If we keep these both intact, along with the broken covenant that we hold, then the presence will live amongst us. If we get so bowed down in fears of, I didn't do it right, I can't quite get it, we might not notice that the presence has already moved in. I want to invite everyone to rise for an anthem I had a hammer, I'd hammer in the e-morning, I'd hammer in the evening, all over this land, I'd hammer out danger, I'd hammer out warning, I'd hammer out love between Sing out danger.
my brothers and my sisters.